I'm going to give you a recap of where we've been. If you haven't been with us, here will be a recap on the screen. Um, here's the journey through Genesis. This is what it's charted out like. We started Genesis. It's the origin of all things, the foundations literally of all things. We then move through all these events. We've hit Abraham, uh, this first of these major people. He's got a crazy family. Um, in his family, he's got two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. We've, we've let Ishmael go. We're tracking Isaac now. Isaac has been told this prophecy that he will have an older son, and this older son will serve the younger son. Not the way it should be. Not the younger serving the older. The older will serve the younger. And so we've kind of seen this fleshing out. This is indeed accomplished. Um, it's accomplished by a twisted mother, a warped son, a disobedient dad. This family is just an absolute mess. If you haven't listened to those, go back on the website, find out about how God accomplishes purposes through these crazy people. Um, we've got all this, and this family's in just total misery. And all of their misery, it's their fault. It's unnecessary misery. And it's their fault because they're just not trusting that God will accomplish what He said He'll accomplish. He says, listen, the older will serve the younger. I'll do this. But they try to manipulate the system. So all the misery they're experiencing is because of them. They try to force God's hand. Um, So this gives them all this kind of mistrust. um, And they just don't trust God will do his thing. Uh, Melissa Barnett, to summarize all of the intro. Melissa Barnett, um, last week, sent me a message after last week's sermon that I think really summarizes. I'll be honest with you. Like I could have just quoted this quote and then just walked away. And, and we would have all been good. But this quote is by C.S. Lewis, and I think it really encapsulates all that the text has been telling us, and it's this. It's so good, it'll be on the screen. Um, you will certainly carry out God's purposes however you act, but it does make a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or serve like John. That's good, isn't it? God's going to accomplish His purposes. That's what Genesis has been telling us. No, we cannot thwart His purposes. But to us, it does matter whether we work like Judas or whether we work like John. I thought that was so good. Nonetheless, um, here's the deal. Esau does indeed get the anti-blessing. The older gets the anti-blessing. The younger does get the blessing. And now the younger is running 450 miles away to his uncle Laban to seek safety. Um, God's been so gracious. And here's the question. Will God's grace finally run out? Will God stop being gracious to this nutty family? Especially Jacob. Will His grace finally run out? Are they going to reach a point this week to where God looks at Jacob and it's like, Jacob, that song we just sang, you are the prodigal child, you are prone to wonder, you are lost, you are reckless, and you know what? Finally, Jacob, I am done with you. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, is God done with me? Like, have I done so much? Is he, like, is he done with me? That's what this text is going to continue the theme of. The theme of God's grace relentlessly chases his covenant children. And we're going to see that through five more movements of Jacob's life. All right, you ready to journey through? So this will be the theme that we track through this verse again. Five more movements of Jacob's life that we're going to go through. And these are a whirlwind. I'm begging you, make sure you're reading this text on your own because I'm just highlighting it, skimming it. And man, you just, I listen, I know Top Gun 2, you, all of y'all keep telling me it was the greatest movie ever made. And I haven't made it there yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'm like, all of y'all are telling me, 
nothing can match what we're about to go through in this text. It is a whirlwind of a text. So let's look at it together. Five movements of Jacob's life answering the question, will God's relentless grace finally run out for Jacob? Is he too far gone? Here we go. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. The Lord's grace to Jacob as a scared runaway. Remember, he's running away. He's fearful of his brother. He's stolen the blessing. He's going 450 miles away. And he's running and he hits the wall. He hits the wall in a true emotional, physical crash. Have y'all been there? To where you just emotionally crash, but also physically just crash? Like you think, I'm so exhausted, I could just lay my head on this rock pillow and go to sleep. You ever been there? Anybody ever been there? That's what he does. He's exhausted emotionally, physically, and he's so exhausted that he pulls a rock up and he lays his head down and goes to sleep on this rock. That's how exhausted he is. He's alone. His soul is parched to the bone, if you will. And then he has this lucid, vivid dream. And as he's sleeping on this rock, the dream is this, that there's a ladder stretched from heaven and it's touching heaven and the ladder is reaching down and it's touching the ground and these angels keep going up and down this ladder almost like they're doing commerce. They're bringing things down, they're taking things back up and he sees this dream and it's the famous story, maybe if you grew up in church, called the Jacob's Ladder Story. Right? And it's not just a story, this is a historical moment. But he sees this, and it's, it's going up and down. These angels are going up on this trade route, and this voice speaks. This voice speaks from heaven and says this, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And now watch this verbal hug. It's so great. This guy who is scared to death, he's running away. And in this moment, the Lord looks down and he says this, I am with you, I will keep you, I will give you the promised land. And I will never leave you. Now this is astonishing. It's astonishing because of at least three questions I want to ask. And maybe you're asking right now. Question number one. What has Jacob done to deserve this? Anyone. Y'all have been tracking with Jacob. What has he done to deserve God saying, I'll be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. What has he done? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Question number two. When has Jacob ever chased God in the past four weeks we've been studying Jacob? Not one time. Not one time is he ever chasing God. Number three. Where is there any evidence ever up to this point of Jacob repenting? Never. You won't see a lick of it. And this is the beauty of this text. So even in the dark wastelands of life, Maybe you feel like you're just in a dark, dark wasteland of life. Even in that dark wasteland of life, God relentlessly pursues His covenant children. That, my friend, is grace. It's grace. And we see this scream up. I brought this. This is one of the prized possessions in the Nicholson household. Um, This is a set of pearls that Julie Beth wears around her neck all the time. Um, There's a story behind it where maybe a father bought his daughter some pearl earrings and then the wife asked the question, where are my pearls? That might be part of the backstory of these. Uh, But that's that's, that's a story for another day. Uh, You'd have to ask somebody else about that. Maybe or maybe that didn't happen. But nonetheless, these are my wife's pearl necklace. (laughs) Um, and, And so here's the thing about pearls. Have you ever heard how pearls are made? It's pretty crazy. Um, Pearls 
there's a clam or oyster or whatever that thing is. And uh, <laughs> when you go whatever that thing is, you kind of tip off that you don't really know how they're made, don't you, Johnny? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's one of these things. Um, and, and what happens is an irritant of some form, whether it's sand or a piece of trash or something, somehow that irritant slips in a crack in the pearl. And then once that irritant is in there and it begins rubbing the inside of the, the, the clamshell oyster, um, <laughs> what happens is it begins to secrete all kinds of things around that item. And so whether it's a piece of sand, whatever, and it, as it just begins to secrete around it, it hardens, and then it turns into, eventually, a beautiful pearl. So this is how clams are made. And, and as I was thinking about this text, and I was thinking about the irritants in Jacob's life and all that's going on, and, and Jacob's just in this wasteland moment, and he's scared, and all kind of pieces of irritants have gotten in. Isn't it crazy? That God can take every irritant that you're feeling in your life and turn that sucker into a gorgeous pearl. Don't diminish the beauty of the irritants in your life. It might just be that God's making a pearl in your soul out of it. And I think we see that out of this text. Nonetheless, in this moment... God shows up and there's this, um, this, this vision going on and, and he's, he's showing him, I'm still with you even in the midst of all your irritants. Jacob sets up an altar. He names the place Bethel, meaning um, the house of God. The house of God is not just these four walls. Let's be clear on that. The house of God is wherever God shows up. And so he names this place the house of God. He worshiped. He commits to tithing in this moment. And even still in this moment, you still see room to grow. So he's growing, God's showing up, he's being gracious to him. And then Jacob says, now God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. Which shows he's still got a long way to go. Rather than just, God, if you say it, I'm going to do it. But nonetheless, and little did he know, before we move on to the next movement, little did he know that in this moment, the moment actually was not about Jacob at all. The moment was Jesus doing something that he would use 1,800 years later to minister to a guy named Nathaniel. You're like, Troy, hold on a second. We've been studying Jacob. This is squarely about Jacob, Troy. Don't tell me that we've been studying this guy for four weeks and this story's not about him. Well, it's not. I mean, it is. God's ministering to him, yes. But in this moment, this vision that Jacob sees of, of, of the Lord um, having this ladder that comes down... Later on, there's a guy named Nathaniel when Jesus goes and starts picking his disciples. And he goes up to this guy, and, and, and Nathaniel comes up, and, and he's, he's going to call him to be one of his disciples. And he says to Nathaniel, as Nathaniel's approaching him, he says, Oh, now that is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, You don't know me from Adam. You don't have a clue who I am. And in that moment, Jesus goes, Oh, I, I do know who you are. I saw you the day before. When you were out way out by the ocean, hanging out up under a fig tree, and you didn't even know who I was. Now at this time, if you read the text, Jesus hasn't even appeared in this city yet. So what's happening is, is Jesus has seen him in his sovereignty, in his providence, and he knows ahead of time, I'm getting this guy. So Nathaniel's blown away. And he goes, whoa, only you, you are something special, Jesus. You're some... How could you even not... Nobody even knew I was out under the fig tree. How could you have seen me? And here's what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, oh, Nathaniel, you think that's something? One day you will see the angels of the Lord descending and ascending upon me. And it's a whole picture of the ladder once again. Eighteen years earlier, Jacob sees this vision of, okay, there's God and there's this ladder and somehow this ladder connects heaven and connects earth and the angels are descending and ascending. And Jacob goes, all I know is that means that the Lord somehow in His grace loves me and is going to provide a way. Eighteen hundred years later, Jesus goes, oh yeah, you've heard about that ladder all of your life? It's me. It's me! This moment is all about Christ. It's just a beautiful picture here. And so then Jesus says, basically, in this moment to Jacob, Jacob, I'm your bridge. I'm your bridge. No matter what you've done, no matter the irritants in your life, I am the one who can connect heaven and earth for you. That's grace. Movement one. Movement 2, Genesis 29, 1-30. The Lord's grace in giving Jacob a wife. Er, wives, plural. Now, if you want to talk about this over coffee this week, we can. But for now, we're just going to kind of move right on through it as the text says it. So he gives him Rachel. He's got a renewed pep in his step. He's just met with uh, the Lord. So, he, of course, he's energetic. So he, he heads on his journey, continues to seek after Laban, and he meets a pack of shepherds. Now, there's a coincidence that this just so happens to be Uncle Laban's shepherds. So the Lord's in this. And Laban's daughter is a shepherdess. And she's not just any shepherdess. Opposites truly attract in this moment because, as the text says, she is just stunning and gorgeous. And so Jacob busts on the scene. He sees his cousin. And now, all of a sudden, in the text, we do indeed have kissing cousins. He meets her, he lays a big smooch on her, and so this does happen. Rachel runs, tells her dad. Laban runs and embraces him, and then long story short, Jacob begins to work for the family business, which apparently is shepherding. So Laban asks, how much do you want me to pay you for helping keep the sheep? So he makes it there, and oh, Jacob doesn't want money. Jacob wants a woman. He wants a bride, and not just any bride. He wants this shepherdess, his cousin. But here's the deal. Laban has two daughters. Laban has one daughter. It's an older daughter named Leah. And in verse 17, it tells us in the text that Leah has lazy eyes. I'm not going to out Tyler LaFoy, but all week long, he's been saying lazy-eyed Leah. And I'm like, Tyler, I'm, I'm not going to say that. But nonetheless... She does have lazy eyes. This is what the text says. She's weak in eyes. And so in this moment, there's this daughter. And Jacob's not drawn to her. He's not attracted to her. And Laban has this smitten daughter, uh, shepherdess, Rachel. And he is attracted to her. And as the text says also in verse 17, that she was beautiful in form and appearance. To Jacob, she was the total package. I've written down... Maybe uh, three artists who could describe this in ways that I think will help us. The Commodores would have said she was a brick house to Jacob. Eric Carmen would have said that he has hungry eyes. (laughs) There's a magic between you and I. And then Counting Crows would have just called her a flamenco dancer. 
So, and there's only half of us that even understand what the counting crows are. But nonetheless, a deal is struck, and this deal is struck, and it is if you work seven years, you can have my daughter. Seven years, and it's done, you can have her. And verse 20 is a beautiful passage of Scripture that says this, He worked those seven years, and it seemed as if they were just a few days because of his love for her. What a cool passage. If you're in a relationship in this room, may that be said of you. That your love is that beautiful. But nonetheless, so we've got a wedding night. And the wedding night, church, is straight up sinister. (laughs) It is a wedding from the pit of hell. And let's look at this text. The wedding night comes. It's a great feast. There's a lot of food. There's a lot of wine. There's a lot of dancing. I mean, they're getting it on. Okay, this is a party. Jacob's in his tent after this feast. He's done a few push-ups. He's got his axe body spray on. He's got the candles lit. And in walks his bride, veiled through the darkness, but yet lit by candles. And as Proverbs says, they drank their fill of love until the morning. And all was well, right? If you know the rest of the story, all was not well. It was not well because Jacob wakes up in the morning and rolls over. And gazes into the eyes of Leah. (laughs) Lazy eyes, weak eyes looking at him. And he's like, what the has just happened? What is going on? And so, so many questions here. And I don't have time for all these questions, but maybe you're thinking of them as well. What did he say when he saw her? I, I mean, how did he respond? Number two, had he called her Rachel all night long? Number three, where was Rachel even being held hostage all day? I mean, surely he's got her locked up somewhere because Leah's veiled the whole time. And then this, what was Leah thinking? I mean, what was Leah thinking and why was she willing? There's so many questions, so many questions abound in this text. But nonetheless, Jacob is furious. He's, he's, he's so mad and he has a come to Jesus with Laban, which brings up two more questions. When he has this come to Jesus with Laban, what have you done? How could you have deceived me that way? Do you think those words might have rung in his ears thinking, oh, I deceived my brother? How dare you? Do you think when he said that, he was like, whoa, how dare I? How dare I did that to my same thing to my brother? Does he now understand, question number two, the pain that he caused his father and his brother. Does he understand that in this moment? Maybe. Nonetheless, Laban did have him on a technicality. The technicality was this. The oldest person did marry first. Nobody wanted to marry Leah. And Laban goes, well, I can work this in. And he did. And he works it in. So he strikes a deal. And the deal is this. If you'll complete your honeymoon week, and then after that, you then can marry Rachel as well, and then you can work for me seven more years. And he goes, I'll take the deal. I'll take the deal. So, and as you'd expect, Jacob loves Rachel way more than he loves Leah. And the question then in this text is, where is grace in any of this? Here's the grace. How many wives did Jacob deserve? None. How many did he get? Well, now two. (laughs) And soon to be four baby mamas. But let's move on to the next text. That's the next movement. Movement number four. 
the Lord's grace in giving Jacob children. And these are 12 incredibly important children. This is Genesis 29, moves us into chapter 30. Now, it's going to sound a lot like Days of, days of Our Lives at this point. Um, I did used to watch Days of Our Lives with my grandmother as we ate um, Tombstone Pizza together. Um, so I know all about cricket and all those folks. But anyway, um, a birthing war ensues at this point. And here's what happens. One wife is desperate for love. One wife is desperate for children, and both are going to get both. And so here's the deal. In this text, the Lord says this, When he saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but not Rachel's. And this is where the counting begins. There's going to be a a picture on the screen. This is what happens with this family and God's grace to Jacob, even though he doesn't deserve it. Leah has four kids. First she has Reuben, then Simeon, then Levi, then Judah. And little did she know that royal blood would come from this line, even out of her being despised. Guess who comes from that line right there? It's, it's, the, it's the word that, it is not a trick question. Like if you're in Sunday school thinking, okay, I've got one word I can pick. This is the word. Who is it? Christ. Jesus comes from this line. What grace is that? Nonetheless, Rachel gets ticked and she, she goes, no, 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 I've got to have some kids too. Here's my servant. Go into my servant. And so the servant has Dan and Naphtali. And then Leah gets ticked that Rachel provided her servant. So Leah provides her servant. And then so Jacob has kids through her named Gad and Asher. And then out of that, Leah barters because Rachel has come in with some mandrakes, some fruit. And Rachel wants that fruit. And apparently because Rachel is loved more, she gets to control the... um, Marital expression time, and who gets to? Okay, you get you. you know, we're going here. So she wants this fruit so bad. She goes, "If you give me the fruit, I'll let you have some party time with Big Daddy." And nonetheless, it happens. And so she barters for fruit. And if you think like right now, you're you think I'm just kidding. I'm. I'm not. I know you feel awkward because I feel awkward too. But I'm not making this up. Go read verse 16. That's exactly what happens. So provides, and there's some barter time with some fruit. Uh, so Rachel has three more kids, Issachar, Zebulon, and Dinah. Dinah's mentioned she'll come up later. Um, and then God finally listens to Rachel and open her room. And then she has Joseph. Later on, she's going to have Benjamin. And then there's going to be some kids that come after that. But let's just recap what just happened. What just happened is we have two twisted sisters, four baby mamas, 11 sons, and one noted daughter. What a cluster of grace. What did he deserve? How many kids did he deserve? None. Not a one. I wouldn't give kids to this guy if I'm God. He's a mess in and of himself, but even in his mess, even in his tragedy, our God is a master of turning the trash in your life into a beautiful treasure. This church is the 12 tribes of Israel. This is where all of Judeo-Christianity comes from, right here, out of that mess, out of that garbage. And the Lord turns it into a beautiful pearl. Church family, as we move on into the next movement, God's gracious purposes are greater than your messes. It's all about grace. Now I'm thinking about the song. It's all about that bass. It's all about that grace. 
grace. I don't have a word after that. Let's move into the next movement. Genesis 30, moving into chapter 31. The Lord is then continuously gracious in giving Jacob great prosperity and direction, even despite his sinfulness. Jacob's ready to leave. He's got his kids. <laughs> he's got it. He's got, like, you think you have a lot of kids. This brother is like, we got to get up out of here. We got enough on our own, much less our family. And so he's ready to leave. Laban wants him to stay because he's consulted a Ouija board, not really a Ouija board, but divination. And the Lord has revealed to him, the only reason, Laban, you're being blessed is because Jacob's with you. So he didn't want Jacob to leave, but Jacob wants to leave. And here's what he says, you can leave, but you have to take all the blemished goats, all the weak ones. You can't take the strong ones. And so he does, and then God works a miracle. You can go read about this, where God works this miracle through putting sticks in front of the blemished goats, and then they end up being strong goats and all kinds of crazy things. I don't know how that works. Nonetheless, I do know that Jacob's goats blossom. All right? And you can guess that Laban's sons, after this miracle, are ticked. They're furious. They don't want anything to do with this guy. He's now stole everything in their eyes, and he's prospering. And they're furious, not because God is making Jacob a many people. Hear this, church. If you don't get anything else, hear this. They're not mad that Jacob is prospering and having all these kids and all these goats in terms of number as a many people. They recognize that God is making him and his family a people. The people of God. They see this. And that's two totally different things. And in this moment, they want him out. So Jacob wants out as well. Jacob tells his wives, let's bolt. They respond by saying, whatever God has said to you, then do it. Chapter 31, verse 16. But you know it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. As they're leaving, Rachel goes into her father's house, steals some of the gods. They leave. Laban goes chasing after he recognizes that these household gods are gone. They catches up. And he says this... Uh, God said, I can't keep you from going, but I do want my household gods back. And then Jacob says, okay, that's fine. Kill anybody that's got them. Little did he know that Rachel had them. Rachel then hides them. She sits on them. She says, Father, I can't get up because the way of women has come upon me. So she can't get up. And so the the gods are hidden in this moment. That works. Um, Jacob and Laban hug it out. They then make a covenant, share a meal, and go separate ways But all this, are you tracking, church, the theme of grace? In the middle of the waste pile of all of this human sinfulness, God still chooses in His grace to bless this family. That's grace. If you've ever wondered, how could God love me? I know how dirty I am. In your dirt, he can't love you. But in his grace, he chooses to love you. Stunning. Shocking. Let's keep going to the next movement so that we can go set some fireworks off. Genesis 32, 1 through 32. And this is where we'll end in this last movement today. The Lord's grace in meeting Jacob's fear of Esau with a broken hip. The Lord's grace in breaking this brother's hip. So he's headed back to the promised land now. The angels greet him again in the same way that 20 years ago when he left to head off to his uncle, the angel showed up. As he's heading back, the angels show up again. This is a moment of encouragement. I'm going to encourage this brother as he goes. 
And then Jacob is still fearful of his brother, even though he's encouraged by these angels showing up. And he sends messengers ahead. And they say, hey, Esau, we want you to know that Jacob's coming. Esau then comes to meet him with 400 army uh, militia. So, of course, this uh, exacerbates Jacob's fear. And there's a threefold response in verse 10, and this is incredible. Uh, We'll move through this real fast, but I hope this does free some of you. He is fearful, and in his fear, he responds in three ways. Number one, he makes a plan. In the midst of his fear, he makes a plan. He says, look, let's split up the clan. That way, if one gets whacked, the other one will be okay. He, he does plan. And then number two, he fearfully appears to, appeals to the Lord. He's in fear, and he comes to the Lord in fear. If you have heard all of your life, you cannot approach the Lord in fear. That's just not true. Sometimes we do approach the Lord in fear. And Jacob does in this moment. And then number three, he repents. He admits his fault. And here's what I want to say to you, church, as we move along. These three can indeed go together. As you're thinking through your life and all the things that's going on, it's okay in your human wisdom to plan, to make a plan. Church, God gave you a brain. Use it. It's not wrong to make plans. And then number two, it's okay to be in fear. It's okay to approach the Lord in fear. He's God. Do you think when we... Like seriously, do you think sometimes when we're like in real fear and we go, oh, I'm going to act before God like I don't have any fear, like we approach Him and we're like, hey God, I'm not fearful right now, that He goes, oh, I see that you're not fearful. Or do you think He looks in and goes, you're incredibly fearful. Well, He sees the heart. It's okay to approach the Lord in fear. And then he comes to him in repentance. He admits his faults. And fear and worship, are, they're just not mutually exclusive. You can be fearful and worship. And you can also be incredibly encouraged and approach boldly the throne of grace. And the Lord will meet you both ways. So he finds himself alone. He's in the dark. He's praying. He's thinking. He's worrying. And then all of a sudden, this strong hand grabs his shoulder. And he enters into a six-hour battle royal moment. This is WWE come to life. Hulk Hogan has grabbed his shoulder and he doesn't know who it is, all right? So it's dark. He doesn't he don't know who it is. And this man just keeps saying, for all my Marvel fans, as they wrestle together, this man just keeps saying, I can do this all day long. And so they keep wrestling. And this is really the story of his life, isn't it? Jacob does not deserve grace because he's wrestled with his brother. He's wrestled with his father. He's wrestled with his father-in-law. And dear friends, now he's wrestling with God himself. He's truly one that is Jacob, the one who grabs at the heel. The deceiver. And so in this moment, Jacob isn't going to give up. The mystery man is not going to give up. And he's going to end this. And so like Thor... Summoning all the power of lightning into one fatal blow. By the way, if you'd like to go this weekend, we'll have a party and we'll head on over there to watch Thor. Um, It's going to be a great movie, but that's just a side note nonetheless. He summons all the power of lightning, if you will, into one fingertip. And all of a sudden, in this wrestling match, he touches Jacob's hip. Boom! And this sucker goes completely dangling out of socket. And so in this moment... Jacob realizes, oh, (laughs) this is no mortal man that I'm wrestling with. I'm wrestling with God himself. And when he realizes that this is God, 
God's grace, church, can indeed be a hug. God's grace can be like a feather and hug you. But sometimes God's grace can be when He cripples you. Sometimes His grace is when He knocks your hip straight out of socket. Don't ever have the notion that God's grace is only lovey-dovey, wishy-washy, mamby-pamby, hugs and kisses. Woo! Sometimes it's Him blowing your hip right out of socket and you walk with a limp the rest of your life. And He does that. So sometimes it's a hug, sometimes it's crippling, but His grace is always glorious because it points you to Him. And that's the point. So in tears, at the end of himself, Jacob cries out, Oh, I'm going to cling to you until you bless me. Limp leg and all. And he's just holding on. Have you ever been there with the Lord? Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm broken. But I'm just going to hold on to your leg until you bless me. Sometimes that's the best posture we can be in church. It's biblical. It's right. So God asked him, What is your name? Not that God does not know his name. Why does he ask him his name? Because it forces Jacob to say out loud, My name is Jacob, the deceiver who takes from the hill. And as he repents in this moment, the Lord graciously looks at him and says, Upon your repentance and admittance of your failure, your name is no longer deceiver. Your name is now... Israel, the one who has wrestled with God. (laughs) Somebody needs to shout, church. And his holy limp, the rest of his life, screamed grace with every step he took. The rest of his life, with the limp, Israel. Israel, you're no longer Jacob. But even in your limp, I'll be glorified and you'll be made beautiful. God doesn't waste anything, church. Well, let's wrap it up. Have you ever come to that point? Have you ever come to the point... The question is not, do you know God? The question is, does God know you? Have you ever been that honest with the Lord? Where He knows you flaws, dirt, and all? It's a beautiful place to be. Has God ever changed your name? Me and Julie Beth were meeting with an incredible family this week over some English peas front porch. Nothing more holy than English peas at front porch restaurant. We're hanging out, just talking about life. And kind of at the end, one of the individuals goes, look, here's the deal. There just, this was this point. And I wasn't really seeking it, but the Lord just revealed His grace to me. And the other person jumps in and says this. And from that moment on, his life changed. 
when grace gets a hold of you, things just change. And some of you have been working your fingers to the bone. God, I will prove how much I love you. And I will work, and I will strive, and I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Well, how's that going for you? Have you prayed enough? Have you read enough? Have you studied enough? Have you gone on enough mission trips? Have you given enough? Have you done enough? Like even if you're praying for an hour a day, why aren't you praying for two hours a day? If you're praying for 11 hours a day, why aren't you praying for 13 hours a day? How's it going for you in your works? At the end of the day, do you sit down and go, I'm trying, Lord, but I still don't know if I've done enough. Out of this text, this text bids you to stop your striving and rest and admit, I can't do enough. But Christ, you have done enough. You've bridged heaven and you've bridged earth. You are the ladder. You are the one who can change my name from Jacob deceiver to Israel, the one who has wrestled with God and He blessed you. It's grace. It's unconditional love. It's His divine favor for His covenant children. Have you seen the beauty of the cross in that way? Well... If relentless grace is indeed the theme of this text, and I believe it is, and if God is relentlessly chasing His covenant children, five takeaways. Number one, and you'll see them as they line up with the text. Number one, if this is true, it does not matter how difficult the unknown is to you. Jacob was traveling 450 miles by himself in the middle of the desert, and maybe you feel alone too. Maybe you feel alone at work, at home, at school, in transition. Here's the beauty of this text. If you feel alone and you're a covenant child, you're not. The Lord is with you by His grace. Number two. If He's relentlessly gracious, then it doesn't matter how odd the unexpected mix-up is. I mean, Jacob was trying to have one wife, and he ends up with sister wives, (laughs) and then ends up with four baby mamas. Okay? That's some drama. Baby mama drama. Maybe you don't understand the mess that you clearly made. You made it. But God's not wasting it in your life. Come to Him. Number three. If God's grace is relentlessly chasing, then it doesn't matter how exhausting your reality is. This brother had to be exhausted. Twelve sons, some daughters, all kind of things going on. Life was a lot. It was really complicated. And maybe you always feel tired. Like maybe you always need the Hawaii vacation. I mean, I do. Like I always need the Hawaii vacation. But God is using your exhaustion for something unseen, for your good and His glory. So keep pressing on. Number four. If grace relentlessly chases His covenant children, then it doesn't matter how exposing the repentance is that you have to admit before the Lord. It doesn't matter. Come clean. God knows it anyway. Be honest with Him. Jacob had to come clean, acknowledge all of his sin. There's no doubt about that. Basically what I'm saying is this. If God in His grace calls you to repent and to get in the wrestling ring with God, then get in there and get bloody. Have it out. Because it's for your 
good. And ultimately, what you'll find, if you come to him in repentance, is not his hatred. You'll find his scandalous kindness and grace towards you. And then finally, number five, it doesn't matter if grace is relentlessly chasing his covenant children. It doesn't matter how real the limp is with which you have to walk. Jacob had to have his hip broken, like real hip broken. Reminding us that sometimes our greatest ally seems at first as if he's our greatest adversary. The Lord comes strong and mighty. And it looks like an adversary. But in his grace, he causes us to limp, to slow down, so that we won't run straight into the pit of hell. Of grace. So, I intentionally said it doesn't matter over and over and over to emphasize the reality that you matter. The situation doesn't matter, but you matter. And ultimately, God is not wasting your trials. He's turning you into a beautiful treasure unto Himself. So for those of theirs to hear, with God's grace, there is peace, rest, comfort, and a smile that passes understanding. His grace is really that scandalous. So, God will definitely meet you in your fear and anxiety in a way that no pill, no liquid, and no therapy can ever match. And all those things, some of those things are great. (laughs) But God's grace is so much greater. So much greater. So on Independence Day, as the band comes back up, here on Independence Day, I'm forever thankful that in God's grace, He took away my independence and made me dependent upon Him. And I pray if you've walked away with anything in this text, that you just rested in the finished work of the cross. And the day that you were made alive and you realized your need for Him and His grace, I pray today that that swallows you whole. So the conclusion, it'll be on the screen above. Jacob was not seeking God. Jacob was running from the consequences of his actions. But God was seeking Jacob. And t'was grace that had brought this brother safe thus far, and grace would lead him home. Let's pray. Oh Lord, today, on Independence Day, God, maybe today this would be the day that freedom rings for somebody in this room. That freedom rings from their work, from their failures, from their striving, from their self-induced spiritual exhaustion. Maybe today would be the day that they're released from that. That they're freed from reproach, that they're freed from condemnation, that they're freed unto unconditional, relentless love of the one who stretched himself out on a cross and touched heaven and touched earth and provided a way. Lord, may today be the day that somebody in this room admits their sin 
repents of their sin, trusts in the finished work of Christ, confesses Him as Lord, follows through in baptism, commits their life unto you. Lord, may today be the day of salvation for somebody in this room right now. And so, Lord Jesus, may it also be the day that for believers who have done that, that you wash them afresh and anew in the scandalous news of your grace.